for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt, and I work with the college students here at UCC. If you're new here, um, we're pumped to have you. Thing, the things we care about here at AFC is we care about um, preaching from this. Word of God. We care about getting to know the person that is Jesus, and we do so through Wednesday night worships, which you guys are doing a great job of being here. We have church on Sunday mornings. We have small groups you can sign up for in the back, and we also do one-on-one coffee mentorship, uh, discipleship type things. So um, what we do is we, we take the Word of God, and we believe that it can answer things about our life. It can make our lives make significantly more sense in many, many areas. And tonight, with Valentine's Day upon us, we're going to use the Bible to talk about love and relationships. So whether you uh, love it or hate it, whether you're looking forward to Saturday or you're dreading its very existence, um, Saturday is the love holiday, the celebration of love. And uh, that also might include you being, uh, you might feel confident you know where you're at with, uh, with love and you might be as clueless as the kids that we heard right there. But it's a very relevant topic that we need to, that we need to look at. Um, one of the old campus ministers here, his name was Kyle Rice, and he's going to speak to you guys in a couple weeks, actually. I asked him to be a guest speaker, but one thing he taught me to do with, uh, with life in general is he said, take the Bible. He said, take this as a sift. Everybody knows what a sift is, like a filter. You put something in, and only the good stuff comes out. That's kind of what we're doing tonight. We're going to use the Bible to answer questions, and we're going to sift through, and presumably what's going to come out is a God-glorifying um, good answer as to what relationships are supposed to look like. Every campus minister since I've been here, and I've gone through three, and every Christian campus ministry on campus is doing the same thing this week. We're talking relationships, because whether we like it or not, the next stage in most of our lives is that stage where we uh, start, start the family unit, where we start moving into romantic relationships that last a long time. So, uh, so we want to use scripture to go out that the best possible way. Uh, as a side note, for those of you who know me, or know, know of me, um, I don't want my singleness to distract you tonight. If I were to only preach on the things that I would have accomplished or done well at to this point in my life, I wouldn't have very much to preach on. So I just want to throw that out there now. I'm unmarried. But my job is to preach the Word of God, to shamelessly um, say what Scripture says about um, whatever the topic is that night. So that's what we're going to do tonight. So with that being said, if you'll pray with me and for me, I'd appreciate it. Dearly Father, we thank you for uh, every soul in this room, God. We thank you for um, the design of love that you've laid out um, in Scripture. God, we pray tonight as we, uh, as we go to your word for answers to, to tough questions, God, that you'll be, um, you'll be present, that any word that you want to hear will fall on soft and open hearts, and anything that, uh, that I might say that is uh, not glorifying to you, that it will just uh, crash to the floor. God, I pray that um, every, everybody in this room remembers and desires to grow closer to you in everything that they do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Secondary side note, this is going to be a tough topic. This is going to be a tough topic, and sometimes Scripture calls to light things that we don't like called to light. Sometimes it can be painfully clear, and uh, I think relationships is something that uh, Scripture does a pretty good job on. Uh, I don't want to be a home wrecker tonight. I don't, wanna, I don't want you texting your boyfriend and or girlfriend right after here and saying, like, we're done, I'm super convicted about this. It's something you need to search, search for in your heart. I'm not, I'm not out to do it. But when Scripture is specific, we will, pray, we will, uh, we will teach it. Um, now, I think love is a beautiful, beautiful thing, but I worry that the society we live in has started to distort and to hijack the word. And so for one of the first hard talks, the first hard subjects I want to talk about tonight is something that's probably going to destroy the box office that week, this weekend, and that's Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, I think the word love and the act of love has been hijacked, and I think movies like Fifty Shades of Grey have something to do with it. 
Now, I want to be very clear right here and say I'm not preaching against, I'm not preaching against the erotic nature of these films or the, the, uh, the sex or the things what, that happens in it. Um, rather, I'm preaching against the idea that when somebody tells me why they're watching this movie, they say it's because of the love story. I have a big problem with that. Uh, if you think that your purity and your personal um, walk with the Lord can handle watching this movie, then, then by all means, go do it. Personally, um, I can't, and I'm not going to, but that's, some, but that's not something I'm preaching. I could come up here every week and pick out something on TV that we watched or something at the Super Bowl halftime show, something that we could pick out where we would say, okay, because of that, maybe we shouldn't watch it. That's not what this is about. This is about when the word love is used incorrectly. Now, if you want to plug in another L word to describe Fifty Shades of Grey, that'd probably be a little more appropriate when we're talking about lust. Um, the argument that's going to come up for those of you who have read the books or are going to see the movie might be, well, you know, they, they end up together at the end. You know, sorry if I'm doing spoilers right now. I don't really care in regards to this movie, to be quite honest. But, uh, but if that's what the definition of love is, is, is ending up together, then I think the disconnect between Scripture and what is described as love is bigger than we might even think. Now, I, uh, I went on Wikipedia to read the plot of these, of these books and these movies, and um, you can argue this with me at the end if, if you know better than me. Don't argue with me now because that would be embarrassing, but at the end you can come up to me. Um, here's what I kind of got from it. Uh, an acquaintance is made. There's lust, which happens. Um, lust is fulfilled. A no-strings-attached type sexual encounter, encounters that happens. Uh, and, then, and then jealousy creeps in. And then due to the jealousy and more lust, um, they end up together, and I guess that's where the love comes in. As, uh, as enticing and hot and steamy and exciting as, as this story is, um, or apparently is, I think that the Bible offers a better option on love and a different plot for believers and their love stories. So the sermon title tonight, obviously, is a play off Fifty Shades of Grey, but it's also a play off of a book called The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. Now, the four loves, are, uh, they refer to the four ways, um, the four Greek words that is used to describe love in the Bible um, and how they should shape believers' relationships. So I think we have on the next slide. Okay, so here they are, the four loves um, as put in the Bible. Eros is the romantic sexual love. That one's pretty self-explanatory. That's where we get the word erotic from. Um, phileo or phila, that is brotherly love, Philadelphia, that's, they coincide. Um, storge, that is the natural love, kind of like a parent to a child. And then the last one is agape, which is a selfless, godlike love. Uh, you know, everyone is, everyone is searching for love. Rihanna thinks she found it in a hopeless place, and uh, Fifty Shades of Grey thinks they found it in and whips and chains and S&M and whatever happens in, in, in those movies. Um, but but the, question, the question becomes when we're searching for love, are these the four things that we care about in characteristics? Are they our test? And usually they're not because like a lot of things in America, uh, we don't have a biblical worldview. We don't have a biblical worldview when it comes to love. We don't have a biblical worldview when it comes to other things. Um, but if we are to look at things through scripture, I think as far as these four loves go, we as believers need to be batting a thousand on this. We need to be four for four when we're approaching relationships with somebody else. So uh, if, we, if we can, let's go a little deeper into these. Um, Eros, uh, atheists and believers, Republicans and Democrats, Aggies and Lobos, we all agree sex is good. Sex is good. 
Even God thinks sex is good. God wants you to have amazing sex. If you don't believe me, read Song of Solomon. Um, tell me you're not blushing after a few verses. God loves sex. The, the disconnect and the stray that happens between two groups is when sex is not performed in the marriage covenant. Does Fifty Shades of Grey have Eros? Yeah, absolutely, most of the time. Um, but if Eros is done out of order, or if it is done alone, um, alone meaning not without the other loves, it can be a very dangerous, heartbreaking, lonely, fleeting feeling. Build a relationship on Eros alone. And after the honeymoon stage is over, what's left? If pain is left, if loneliness is left, then you probably didn't have all the other characteristics. Now, hopefully for a Christian, we have whatever's left. Uh, phileo, or phila, um, brotherly love. Uh, now, I have experienced brotherly love with many friends in college, many friends in this room, but the thing about brotherly love is it is not just, uh, is not just for same-sex friendships. Brotherly love is something that, is, uh, that Scripture would tell us that, uh, that Christian relationships are supposed to have. Now, girls, you're not going to lose your girlfriends. Guys, you're not going to lose the fellas. This is just something that's not just reserved for that type of friendship. Storge. Uh, this is the natural love or the love that maybe you could say I'm born into, I guess. Um, the best example for storge would be uh, when one of your friends has a baby on Facebook. Not on Facebook, has a baby, posts about it on Facebook. So what happens, what happens usually is they... They, uh, they get the baby, they take the picture, and it, you, the, the post usually reads something like, today so-and-so was born at 3.43 a.m., eight pounds, nine ounces of pure beauty. And you're just like, yeah, it's covered in blood with an alien face. Like, that's not beautiful, but it's what the parents believe. But here's where the, here's where the storge comes into play. It's the next line where they put, I never knew that I could love someone so much after the first time I held them. And that's something I've heard it's from countless friends on Facebook who have been having babies for the past couple, couple years. Amber, testify right here. Zeke's making noise while I'm preaching, but that's cool. <laughs> but that is, that is story again. I'll tell you in a minute why that applies to relationships. And the last love that we dive a little deeper into is, is agape love. Now, C.S. Lewis, um, the guy who wrote Four Loves, he describes agape love as the highest love known to humanity, a selfless love, a love that was passionately committed to well-being of others. The most famous example of agape love in the Bible comes from the most famous Bible verse in the Bible, which is John 3.16. For God so agapo, past tense, the world, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him, you guys know the rest, shall have eternal life. The, mo the most famous verse in the Bible, that is agape love that's used there. Now it starts with, um, as John 16 says, it starts with God's love for man, giving man a gift even when we didn't deserve it, but it's supposed to be reciprocated. Man to God again, and man to fellow man, and also man to spouse. The, uh, another hard part of this talk is the fact that these four loves can only be exemplified on earth, these four, in a Christian relationship. Rabbi Zacharias is a Christian speaker, apologist. Um, he's one of the ones that if you're into um, podcasts, he's one I highly recommend. He's a, he's a deep thinker. But one time Ravi was talking about the four loves, and he was explaining that only in Christian marriages can they be exemplified because of this. Um, when, uh, when a man and woman have sex, they, uh, they practice eros. When they procreate and have, um, raise a child together, they practice storge. Being in a lifelong commitment, you become the ultimate friend, which is phileo. And lastly, if that person has the ability to love God, they'll have the ability to love you um, to some extent with agape love. 
I want to be careful here tonight and say, I'm not preaching marriage. I'm not saying that every one of you needs to go in here and get wifed up tonight. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but we do need to evaluate then why we date. Now, I was in a small group a couple years ago, and the guy that was leading it was a dating study. He said that there's three reasons why somebody would enter into a dating relationship. Now, you can argue with these with me later, but through experience the past couple of years, um, pretty much any reason I'm given, I can kind of sort to one of these three categories. So one, uh, the one we've talked about a lot tonight, you're just trying to get it in, just trying to have that physical um, encounter with somebody to where it would be enough to pursue a romantic relationship with. Number two, also not a great reason, is that you're lonely or insecure. What a bad way to start a relationship is to take insecurities into it. That'd be a, that's number two. And the last is whether you're in pursuit of marriage of them. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to work out. It doesn't mean first date means you're, you're going to get married. What it means is that um, for any other reason, I'm not going to sacrifice my purity to enter a dating relationship with them. So whether you feel like you're ready for, for marriage or not, uh, I feel like this message is for everybody in the room, except those of you who might have the gift of singleness. Now, what the gift of singleness is, Paul describes in the Bible, is those of you who don't, have, uh, don't need to have your passions fulfilled. Now, I'm going to assume that the majority of people in this room do not have the gift of singleness, but if you do, uh, use tonight to sharpen your sword. Use tonight to use it in your personal ministry. Um, but I think this is something that is very pertinent to this age group. So the question becomes... Do I, in my pursuit of somebody, have pure motives? Not motivated, motivated, motivated just by sex or insecurities. And the follow-up question to that is, once I find somebody that I really want to pursue, do they possess the four shades of love that are outlined in the Bible? Because scripture is painfully clear on a couple things. Um, A believer and a believer getting together is okay. A non-believer and a non-believer getting together Eternally, it doesn't do great things for them, but in the marriage, it's okay. But a believer and a non-believer getting together, that's never okay. Clearly outlined in Scripture. And the question is, why as Christians would we want anything else? If you have this capacity to love in these four ways because of what God has done in your life, why would you dare settle for somebody who couldn't reciprocate that love to you? Sunday, uh, in our worship service, Charlton was preaching about, um, about people who ooze Jesus and what that looks like. So if somebody oozes Jesus in traffic, he said we would see far, far less middle finger salutes and far more, come on in, you can, you can cut me off in traffic. Uh, at the grocery store, Walmart wouldn't be as crazy. At the workplace, you might have more pleasant work coworkers if people oozed Jesus. Now, the same idea goes for relationships as well. You get one person that oozes Jesus and another that doesn't, There's going to be some good in that relationship, but there's going to be some bad that comes in as well. You get two Christ-like individuals that are pursuing the cross, you're going to have a a world-changing type love. Now, not perfect love. We're we're disciples, but we're not perfect. But that is something that we have to strive for. Why would we want anything less than that? Many of you have probably heard of the, uh, probably your grandma or your mom might say, you know, when you're searching somebody out, find somebody that you're equally yoked with, right? Uh, that comes from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. And the way um, equally yoked, that verse ends, is, says this, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? You know, you've probably heard it, or maybe even like myself, you might have used this out of context before. So what I'd like to do is explain what yoked means. Uh, the next slide has a picture of a yoke. So this is, um, this is a... Uh, a piece of equipment used for, for oxen when they're plowing fields. Now each, each separate oxen gets under these, these uh, harnesses and, they, and together they pull the plow and they, they, they tear up the ground like that together in, in, in straight lines, hopefully. The next picture is uh, just what it looks like when they're underneath it 
and the next picture I just threw in because it looks like these oxen are in love, and that's what we're talking about. So. Um, if you've never dated a farm animal, this might be a confusing analogy, but I'll try to, uh, I'll try to make it a little more sense. Uh, nobody is going to have an identical faith to yours. Nobody's going to be in the same place with the same devotion, with the same discipline, with the same knowledge. Nobody's going to be in that same exact place. So now when we're searching for whoever it is, we can agree. Can we take that off? It's just kind of disturbing. Thanks. <laughs> we, can, we can kind of agree that we're not, uh, we're not looking for a spiritual clone. What we're looking for is somebody that goes the same speed. Now, with the oxen, if one ox is significantly stronger than the other, or goes significant, uh, it, it's not as big a deal if they can go the same speed. If they can go the same speed, then that plow is going to stay, stay straight, and they're going to get the job done. Now, if one starts going faster than the other, it gets crooked, or slower, it goes back the other way. Or what if they can't even get in the right direction? What if they can't even get going in the right direction? You don't want somebody that's the exact same as you spiritually. You just want somebody that's pursuing the cross at the same speed you are and in the same direction, moving in unity, because that's the only way it's going to work for a Christian relationship. And the hard, another hard point about this is that your strength, you might feel like that strong oxen in the relationship, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Missionary dating or the idea of thinking that you can save somebody is something that uh, I wrestled with and personally was hurt with over the past couple of years, thinking that's something I could do. The simple fact of the matter is this, is we are not what people need. I'm going to say that again because that's really good preaching. We are not what people need. Now, that hurts our pride sometimes when we think that we can pull somebody up. Uh, sometimes it hurts our flesh when, we're, uh, when we see an unbelieving girl and she's really attractive and you're on campus and you're like, she has me feeling all kinds of spiritual right now. I think I could do this. Or ladies, when you see that man bun, whatever it is, uh, it, it, it hurts our flesh sometimes when you, when you don't have a chance to, to pursue that. Um, but scripture says we definitely shouldn't. We definitely should not. But why does God care who we enter into relationships with? I'm reading this book right now called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, and it's about biblical counseling, but has a lot to do with relationships, too, and I, I took a quote from it about relationships, because I think it's just so good, and that's the next slide on the screen. This is Paul David Tripp. He says, people do not belong to us. They belong to God. Relationships are primarily for our fulfillment, are not primarily for our fulfillment. On the contrary, relationships between sinners are messy, difficult, labor-intensive, and demanding. But in that, they are designed to result in God's glory and our good as he is worshipped and our hearts are changed. Not completely for my good, for God's glory. These are things that are kind of counterintuitive to modern thought. Uh, the thing about it is we look at marriage and it's like, this is going to fulfill some desires in my life. Uh, sexually, it's going to fulfill some desires, yeah, for a little bit. Friendship, uh, relationship is going to fulfill some desires, yeah for a little bit, but at the end of the day, if all our decisions are designed to glorify God, then what we do in relationships should as well. So the question becomes for us, if you're in a relationship right now, if you're in a marriage right now, whatever it is, um, does the one you're in glorify God? And if you're single, like I know a lot of people in this room are, does what your number one, is your number one stipulation in finding somebody, is it that your relationship be God-glorifying? This is a tough question. We've been talking about discipleship for the past couple weeks here at AFC, and that has, asked, that has caused us to ask some tough questions. Would I be completely willing to follow Jesus at whatever cost? 
And so the hard question in regards to relationship is, number one, am I willing for my number one priority to be to glorify God? In conclusion, I'll ask another question. Uh, what shade of love are we most concerned with? Romance seems so big to us at this stage in our lives, right? But should it be the biggest? Probably not. The greatest commandment came in uh, Matthew, that Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was in Matthew 22, 36. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. First, Jesus says, love me. Not just with a feeling, with the emotional feelings inside. He says, love me spiritually with your soul as well and mentally with your mind. And then, with that agape love, and then when you truly understand love, love to God, that selfless love that God had to man, you can reciprocate it to others. And that's the second command, love others. Now you've seen how it's supposed to be done. Now you go and do the same. And this goes for our romantic relationships as well. The first time I ever heard uh, a relationship study in this gym, the, uh, the minister had this little tiny cross and he put it on the table, put it on the table right in front of us. And he said, in regards to relationships, he says, everything that we do needs to go through the cross. The only thing that's different now is the cross is a little bit bigger, but the message remains the same. If everything that we do in our life is to come through the cross and we do the same with relationship, then what comes out should be a God-glorifying, good thing. But if you don't take anything else away from tonight, what we need to remember is that what happened on this cross was the true love story. This was where selfless love happened. This is where sacrificial love happened. If you want your relationships, if you want your career, if you want your purpose to make more sense on this earth, then go through the cross. But like I said, if you remember anything else from tonight, understand that what Jesus did on this cross, that was the perfect love. We put people on pedestals. We put our girlfriends, our boyfriends, our husbands, our wives, we put them on pedestals. I guarantee you, because they're sinners, they will let you down. But the one love that won't let you down, that deserves to be elevated, is a love that happened right here on this cross. So if any of you have anything that you would like to pray about tonight, if that's something, um, a call that you have been having, a tug maybe. Um, come and pray with the staff in the back. Uh, but just remember, this was the perfect sacrificial love. And that's where the true love story remains. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the design of relationships. We thank you for the good that they are in our life. We thank you for the fun that they are. Um, but God, we thank you most of all that they taught us how Christ loves the church. God, and I pray for every soul in this room that relationships not be something that becomes an idol in their life, but rather points them closer to you. Lord, remember the most true and the most romantic story ever told was what your, what your son did on the cross. And we thank him for that tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.